first Deus Ex Human Revolution podcast. I am Kyle Stolick, the community manager on the uh, title here, and we have Steve. And do you want to introduce yourself? Steve Shipkowski. I'm the audio director on Human Revolution, and sitting to my right is Mike McCann, composer, genius, all around uh, stud, <laughs> mastermind, <laughs> mastermind, master of evil. So, guys, uh, four years. Four years. Two and done. And well, three. I started fall of 2008, so closing right. in on three years. Yeah, for yeah. me it's hitting on close to four. Yeah, four in September. It's a long time. Yeah, it's a marathon. <laughs> Looking forward to some vacation that's coming up too. Definitely. Beer, barbecue, swimming pool, all the above. <laughs> so, uh, Steve, what's your background like? Um, a lot of crime. A lot of... Uh, <laughs> Sex, drugs, rock and roll. <laughs> Sex, drugs, rock and roll, all the above. Uh, yes, please, and more. <laughs> no, actually, it's... You're uh, king of the uh, sexual metaphors in the office. There you go. Well, somebody's got it. It's a dirty horse, but somebody's got a rider. Um, <laughs> this is the my last three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this will be my last job in the industry as of today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my background, basically, I've always loved audio, loved music, uh, strong musician background, love rock and roll, hard rock. I mean, anything for me, music... I don't break things into genres. I either like it or I don't. I mean, there's tracks from ABBA that I just love, and there's tracks from, like, White Zombie that I just love. Can you name a track from ABBA that you really love? Dancing Queen. I mean, you're in a bar, and you hear Dancing Queen come on. Dance floor is packed with good-looking ladies shaking it. I mean, that's that's cool. I'm in the center in a white suit, busting moves. (laughs) So it can be said that you turn into a Dancing Queen. Uh, Let's edit all this out. (laughs) 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 No, no. But, uh, no, I'm just saying it's, you know, like, formulating... A, a hit song it's a craft and I mean you know to hear that track I mean Dancing Queen and to sit there and not acknowledge what a well crafted hit song it yep. is is just ignorant because you can sit there and say well I don't listen to this type of music I mean I've never bought an album an ABBA album or CD in my life but I can hear it on the radio and go man that's a good tune and I'll wait till the song's over to change it because it's just a well crafted tune Yeah. so I mean I won't go out and buy the album, like I said, or the CD, but at the same time, and every time I say album, I'm dating myself, eh? (laughs) (laughs) I won't go out and buy the CD. Yeah, I won't go out and buy the 8-track to listen to while I play Pong at home, but but no, I mean, the point is is that good music's good music, regardless of the genre. A good song's a good song, and I think uh, that's definitely helped me in working in this industry, is having a really vast appreciation for all kinds of music. Regardless of what I like to listen to at home, um, I could definitely, uh, I can definitely understand and appreciate what makes a good song a good song. So yeah, so basically, uh, music background, played rock and roll for years, did the uh, manual labor rock and roll lifestyle, and then just did the rock and roll lifestyle, <laughs> and then I got hungry, and so then I went back to work, and then I decided <laughs> uh, eating's a cool thing, um, so I took a course at one point for computer-assisted sound design and that brought my love and appreciation of music into the digital world where now I could apply all that sort of knowledge in my head with today's technology and today's digital tools and uh, then slowly uh, got into uh, did a lot of work around in studios and stuff just trying to find where I felt I would want to put my energy Studios were cool, but I always felt uh, being more of a creative guy than a technophile. Sitting behind the console in that, I always felt like I wanted to be on the other side of the glass, like being on the creative side. 
you know, pushing buttons and that is great, but I always wanted to be more involved on the, the creative side. So that, you know, you read your own signals and I knew right then and there, I was like, okay, I know I need to be in something more creative. And then when I got an opportunity to work in video games, I realized really quick, wow, this is cool. This I get to do everything I like here. And yeah, and obviously once you get to a level where you're getting to do a game like Human Revolution, you know, it's a kid in a candy store. Now you really get to have fun. I mean, I was doing DS stuff before, so you've got memory limitations and, you know, you're not doing voice acting, you're doing very minimal. So you're getting a small taste of what it could be. And you're like, wow, you know, I'd love to see how they do it at the next level. So, once I got here, uh, yeah, the rest is, uh, as they say, history. It's a good background. That's great. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Detailed. Yeah, sorry if it's too long. No, 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 it's, not, it's never too long. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to see uh, you go from DS to this. It's like, you, you're in this small little room, and all of a sudden you get into this big room. It's like, oh, I can do anything I want now. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, you know what's good is I'll always say that, the rules learnt at that DS level are invaluable and they still carry over to today because learning like to respect memory budgets and and even to think outside the box because often in DS it's like well there's no way to do that and then you're like okay well let's try and find a way to do it let's think of a creative way that we could do I mean what you're trying to do is elicit the response from the player so okay well, if we can't do it this way can we cheat and do it another way and you look for ways and again I just find years of that type of thinking when you get to this level it only benefits you because when you do hit a problem you start going back to your DS ways of thinking and it's like okay well how can we do that and sometimes you're looking for cheat ways that you don't even need because it's like uh, no we can do this at this level and you're like oh oh cool yeah. all right great Michael if you want to go Sure. Uh, background? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Uh, I started with music when I was um, really young. Uh, my parents used to pick up uh, instruments from old garage sales. Nobody played any. There was no musicians in the family, but I think they were just hoping some me and my brother would take <laughs> interest. Uh, but yeah, started uh, playing stuff by ear, just uh, old records, and then playing them on organs and stuff. Uh, started my first band when I was about 13. Basically, I got a uh, job as a dishwasher when I was like 12 or 11 in Toronto and me and my brother saved up about 2500 bucks bought a first synth and started a band and we were kind of like uh, Joy Division early U2 and uh, yeah from immediately after our, maybe we did about five shows uh, in and around Toronto and even though we were really young and I hated it I hated playing live couldn't stand it didn't like playing in front of an audience so the next direction to go was doing stage plays in high school we did a big epic by high school accounts of 1984. Oh, wicked! Grade 11. That must have been cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, we you had, had a, a cool school. My schools were <laughs> doing like Oklahoma. I was going to say Oklahoma. Yeah, that was my first one. <laughs> yeah. No, we had a pretty an ambitious drama teacher. Yeah, 1984. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, and we did, it was a full production. We had a kid that his dad worked at a TV store, so he was able to track down about. I think we had about 50 TV sets on the stage. Wow! So it was just this massive kind of choreographed visual. For isn't there for a cool? School. Isn't there a cool scene in there where they put like a cage on a guy's head with rats in it? Or uh, something? Yeah, it's the, the Winston. I think yeah. just at the close to the very end. It's like you your greatest. What, you fear. see what moments I remember. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's so cool. I yeah. gotta do that to somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so did music for that. That was my first kind of scoring gig, I guess. It's and amazing. What I like is that how, like you said, like you realized early on that you knew you didn't want to play live in front of people. Yeah. Like, I think that's really cool. It's an, and it, it shows that um, 
you know, some people spend their whole lives never really figuring out who they are. And it's amazing to me that at that age of 13, like, you had already had this sort of enough sense of yourself to know, no, I don't like, I'm not getting, I'm not doing this, I'm not enjoying it, you know, yeah, And it whatever. was music specifically, because I had done, uh, I was, I did a lot of writing when I was younger, and I did, did a parody of uh, Star Wars before Mel uh, Brooks did uh, Spaceballs. Okay. It was a year before that. And, uh, he ripped you off. Yeah, I went to the, <laughs> I went to the city champions in Toronto. I had to do it all in front of a massive audience, and I loved it. I just, you know, I was kind of like the class clown and stuff. But just back then, then but I got just all the serious. music, the music side. But the music side, yeah, just just didn't like the interactivity between the audience. It's just something wow. that I find. That's cool. I'm total opposite. I was gonna say, yeah, you two are totally opposite. I did, I, mean, I did my first show at 14, and I it was like being addicted to crack. I was like, I, I love this. People cheering for me. This yeah. is awesome. <laughs> you know. And I remember at that point, really starting to get more into music and guitars. And I think the deciding factor was, you know, you you talk to girls in school, and you'd be like, you know, well, you want to come see my soccer game? And they're like, no, no. Mm -hmm. And you're like, uh, want to come see my band play? And it's like, oh, you're in a band. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, the eyes kind of film over a bit, and you're like, yes. You Yes, I am in a band. <laughs> you can't play anything, but we're a band. Uh, yeah. And we're looking for groupies. <laughs> so you realize quite young that music, you know, is quite powerful in, in, in many forms. And I think just talking to us now, like, you, you can see that both Mike and I at an early age realized for much different reasons, <laughs> but mm -hmm. that music was definitely a powerful tool if you could wield it. Yeah. That's good coming into a project like Deus Ex, hearing that people that, you know, are in, into the audio have always had that lifelong dream of being here, and, and kind of it's like a, a dream to do something on Deus Ex, probably. I mean, do you have any history with the title? Like, were you there playing it back in the day? I never played it when it first came out. No, and I wasn't either. a big, uh, I guess, another part of background, because I played the games maybe a lot when I was very young, mm -hmm. and then I didn't play them for years mm -hmm. yet, so I would have missed the whole era of yeah, Deus and Ex. I'm, it's weird, like, I never would have coin myself as a gamer it's like nah, I'm too cool for that you know I yeah. play rock music and party and but then I looked looked at it and I'm like no man you've been gaming like there's not one console I don't think again without dating myself that I haven't played on oh, shit. you know like I can remember you know being a certain age and my parents bringing the ColecoVision home I remember when the first kid in the neighborhood had an Atari <laughs> and we were just like you know oh my god like look at it he's got space invaders this is awesome yeah and Steve are you saying you're not 21 yeah, I was, I've been 21 quite a few times. Yeah. I remember, uh, th I think, I don't know how old I was when that, but my dad had actually brought home, I think he actually had a cracked version of Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, really? One or two, and he had brought it home, and you couldn't get into the game because you needed the, I think the game was that you had to have the phone number for the girls' faces that they po post up. That was the kind of password to get into the game. But my dad had all the phone numbers, and but none of the matching. I think me and my brother sat there for... Just trying to figure out what this forbidden game was, like it's yeah, an adult video game. You want to see like funny. pixelated boobs or something? Yeah, right yeah. Like, Come on, I just want to see it. You know, when dad has like magazines. Like five pixels. Yeah. Man, yeah. The length, the, the lengths that a fourteen-year-old will go to to see boobs, yeah. don't ever underestimate it. Yeah. Oh, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, hold it. Before we go into the background of the game, let's learn a little bit about the Quagmire. Fans of Family Guy, listen up. Maybe the Quagmire. The Quagmire. Yeah, Mike never got to see the Quagmire. Well, you, you can play it right four, now. Four years of a lot of uh, stress in that, and every now and then, you know, we need to find some uh, some moments of uh, humor to kind of break up the uh, the stress. So when uh, we were working on creating the um, 
the mines in the game, uh, the mines, they all make like a slight beeping sound to show that it's an active mine. So like if you're sneaking around a corner and you just hear a little beep, 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 you know like there's a mine in the area. Yeah. And uh, if you move too quickly, it'll beep, 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 and it sets it off. Mm -hmm. But before it became that, we uh, were all big Family Guy fans. Yeah. on the audio team and I think Mike probably is as well I'm not yeah South Park I'm assuming. he's a South Park <laughs> you can't be both you can't you can't yeah. it's impossible to but, uh, <laughs> so based on one of our most beloved characters Quagmire we created the Quagmine so I don't know if uh, um, I'm talking to legal to see if we can get this approved using the podcast so anyone listening out there I'm sorry if you don't hear it <laughs> yeah basically I'll give you the uh, it's a black screen uh, hang on a sec black screen and it says the audio department had a vision of creating a new powerful weapon for the dx3 world human revolution world we proudly present it to you now ladies and gentlemen the quagmine unfortunately we don't own the rights to quagmire and all of family guy so we had to cut this part out the part where steve actually shows us the quagmine you can imagine how funny it is here steve will explain what it's like <laughs> So basically, you got minds that instead of beeping go giggity with the yeah. warning, use it wisely at the end of the. Uh, Is there any possible way that we mistakenly end up in the final game? <laughs> no, I would have loved that. Did no one swap that file? Oh, oh no! <laughs> yeah, did anybody remember to take the quagmine out of the game before it shipped? Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah, great. Oh, that's terrific. You're going to have tons of people now looking for the quagmine or creating their own in the game. I, I hope they do. If I can't use it myself, I hope they do. Yeah. yeah, it's, uh, we had, I'm telling you, we must have laughed ourselves silly over that one. Oh, when I first saw it yesterday, oh, Jesus, I lost my shit. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I completely it lost really it. Funny. And now, on to the real meat. Creating the audio for Deus Ex Revolution. Part one, we have the vision of the game. So when you first approached it, oh, how did you do it? I mean... You, you knew uh, that was, was going to be like a triple-A monster project and everything. Yeah, but to be honest, I, I didn't even look at it like that. I just looked at it like I had a job to do. And, uh, you know, if I approach it methodically, it'll take care of itself. So the first thing was to play the first game because, uh, like Mike, I hadn't heard of it. I'd played mainly console games, so I wasn't a PC gamer. So I'd never even heard of it. Um, but when I left the interview, I remember uh, producer uh, David Anfossi saying, uh, just think Blade Runner. And I was like huge Blade Runner fan. So like I started, you know, drooling right there all the way out of the office. I was just like Homer Simpson with the <laughs> face. But uh, when I got the gig, I was obviously extremely thrilled. And I said, all right, time to get to work. I played the first game. And I really played it not so much from a gameplay point, but from an analytical point. Just I was taking notes all the time, like, okay, how did they trigger their music? How did this come in? What, how many tracks did they use per level? Um, and I mean, and to not discredit the, the game in, in any way, but um, there was only so much you could extract from it because technology has just changed so much in the last 10 years. And, you know, when that game came out, they were obviously very limited as to what they can do in comparison with today. Uh, however, I still think what makes uh, the game great, regardless of technology or year uh, that it comes out in, is the fact that it's that open choice thing that people love. 
And I mean, I grew up playing uh, some of those novels, those books where it's like, you know, if you want to fight the trolls, turn to page 212. And if you Choose your own adventure. Yeah. And I used to love that stuff. I thought it was so cool. So when I kind of made the connection that Deus Ex had kind of used that sort of method to, in their game, uh, I thought it was really, really interesting. But at the same time, I got really kind of intimidated because I'm like, wow, this game's going to be huge. Because <laughs> I was like, if I got to account for everything anybody could do at any given time, I'm like, yeah, so this is not a linear game. This is going to be tough. Yeah. But, I mean... Uh, Was it know, daunting? Yeah, but you know what? I think if I... I think ignorance is bliss. And at that time, you don't really realize that... You know what, like if somebody was sat me down and said, okay, it's going to be four years, it's going to be like 20,000 lines of dialogue, it's going to be seven different languages, like I probably would have ran screaming saying, <laughs> I'm sure there's a nice little DS game somewhere with not too much stress that I could do. But, you know, you want the challenge, and I mean, you know, you want to, you want to work towards something that's going to be uh, memorable. And again, ignorance is bliss. I mean, I didn't know really what it was going to entail. I'd never done a AAA game, but I just knew that I was up for the challenge. And, uh, and obviously, you know, I can never say enough about surrounding yourself with good people because that's no man is an island. And, you know, I can sit here and, and say, yeah, I'm here on the podcast, but I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Mike, if it wasn't for the two guys on my team, if it wasn't for the two or three people that we added during the, the crunch time that came in and helped us. And I mean, it's it's due to all the work of these people that we're sitting here today talking about the audio. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's a total team effort. Um, so yeah, it was definitely uh, slightly daunting and slightly a bit of a challenge. But I got to say, I think the my ignorance with how much was going to go into it served me well in that I was just too stupid to know any better. And I'm like, nah, I can do this. <laughs> so when you guys started out, like, what was your like vision? Like, Mike, did you like when you? played the first deus ex yeah and then you're, you you know we were you ever like this is how it's going to be this is the feel or how, how did the process go with the team and saying like you know iterations and stuff like that yeah it, it evolved quite a bit actually yeah um and i would say i didn't hadn't heard of deus ex i knew it i knew the actual main title and i played invisible war i mean i found out once i started this that <laughs> <laughs> people talk about invisible war yeah <laughs> first rule that's one of those DSX. things first rule yeah <laughs> And don't um, call it Deus Ex 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People get mad at that a lot, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when I played through it, it was still didn't didn't show me how big we would be actually. Like, yeah. Uh, I guess the music on Human Revolution would be. Because Deus Ex is still, like, you have, um, you know, one track that will yeah, cover, a, you know, your Unaku track is that's... If that's the whole HQ. level. Yeah, exactly. Liberty, Liberty Island has its own track, where we approached it a lot differently. Where you yeah. have multiple, multiple tracks for each location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's funny is, I mean, and I often, like, you know, I'll stroll, take a look at the uh, IDOS forums and, you know, see what people have, uh, have been commenting, et cetera, et cetera. And, it, and it's, it's funny because I know people still tend to cling to the soundtrack of the first game. Yeah, it's memorable. And it's, you know, it I'm sorry? It has, it's memorable. It has its For sure. It's, yeah. But, I mean, this was going to be a different animal. Mm -hmm. And there's no way, and I mean, I've actually, I've even, you know, and I think Mike uh, knows Alex Brandon a bit. I know I've met him through doing this game. And he even, the first things he said is he goes, you know, what was done then would never work today. And, uh, and I'm sure if he had a chance to, to, to do a game like Deus Ex today, he would approach it differently as well because it's just not the same thing. And one thing we wanted to distance ourselves away from was that whole melodic not melodic because it's doing a disservice to Mike, but songs for like, you know, like 
what Alex did, a lot of them are songs. And while they work well, I find anything that's on uh, an endless loop after like 10, 20 minutes starts to lose its effect. Especially as technology has advanced, that's, I think people are far less forgiving yeah. of repetitive music. I agree. So yeah. that's, I mean, early on, I always kept saying mood over music. You know, I want it to feel like a film. I want it to feel like a mood that's constantly adapting with the player. And Mike was the right guy to, to bring that in because he, he totally got that. And I'll even go one further. I'll say Mike found a way t to do mood over music and make the mood music, if that makes sense. Well, I know one thing uh, that uh, I learned in school was if, a lot of the time, the people can pick out the, the music. Like, if it takes them out of the immersion, well, then you kind of failed a little bit as a composer. Yeah, like, I think it applies more to when you're talking about underscore. Mm -hmm. It's because, obviously, when yeah. you're watching Star Wars, it's exactly you'd notice the music. Like yeah, yeah. When it needs to be noticed. Mm -hmm. That's um, it. And especially with Deus Ex, there's points where we can be melodic and yeah. be thematic. Yeah. But for the most part, because it's open world and you're walking around in these environments for hours, is that's that it. you just can't... If you have that melody, is that you hear the loop. That's so you it. Hear the, you hear the melody, you get to about two and a half minutes, and then back to the beginning. And it's just if in a big open world where you're going to have that track playing for maybe, you know, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, as a personal choice, I would rather sit lost and immersed in, in a sonic soundscape that's sort of like, I don't even hear it anymore. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? It's like it just becomes part of the whole soundscape of the game. That's an effective use of it. But like Mike said, if you know you're hearing the loop and and you know you're hearing it come around and it's let's say for example there's a part of the song that you don't like imagine having to hear that over and over again for 30 minutes yeah you know like you're just like oh, here comes that part again and and it just it really kills the whole immersive effect and i really wanted this game to be like as immersive as possible yeah. what are your influences it's a common question answers that are almost never the same. Here, Steve and Mike provide their own with surprising results. Well, I thought it was surprising. Was Michael McCann inspired by any other music while composing the soundtrack for the game? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have a list of about 70. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I think my references were we're way, way off from where we started. Yeah. When we started, like I said earlier, there was Blade Runner, um, Nine Inch Nails. Carpenter. John Carpenter, uh, Deus Ex. Yeah. And then, yeah, I started looking at, th on the more, more organic side, I guess, um, Aphex Twin, Eamon Tobin, Elliot Goldenthal, who's uh, Julie Taymor's composer, also done stuff like Heat. Dead Can Dance, Lisa Gerard, especially, just like the vocal work. Tangerine Dream? Uh, Tangerine Dream, yeah. Love them. For sure. Yeah, um, Peter Gabriel, Brian Eno. Uh, Brian Eno actually quite a bit in the ambient. I think I've seen some people say that already. Yeah, he's got yeah, some cool stuff. Yeah. Was he in Roxy Music? Yeah. I shouldn't even be asking. Yeah, but he produced, uh, yeah, David Bowie, U2. Like, yeah, no, I... Yeah. Uh, and his solo stuff, like music for airports, is, uh, yeah, it's genius. Like, very, very simple, simple ambient. Um, I, actually, a really obscure guy named Ben Lucas Boyson goes under the name Heck H E C Q, out of Germany, is was a huge inspiration on this this too. So yeah, there was quite a few that uh, I don't think would have normally been associated with Deus Ex. But wow, yeah, don't That's forget, don't forget Abba. And Abba, yeah. <laughs> Abba was a huge yeah, in the clubs. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's, the nightclub's massive attack. And uh, but that's funny too when you say like, like just uh, for 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 interest and passing on uh, cool stuff. Mm-hmm. The club, um, well, when people are gonna play the game, the uh, they visit the. Am I allowed to kind of talk some location stuff? Well, anyway, you'll cut it if I can't. The uh, when they go and visit the brothel. Like every good clean American boy will. Mm-hmm. Um, the brothel track was originally the hive the track. The hive track, yeah. Like the track that the track that ended up being the brothel was the first iteration of the hive. Huh. Yeah. And when we, uh, it's not to say that it didn't work. It did work. It just gave it a different emotional feel to the bar. Yeah, made it much more like a club than a lounge. Or I forget what the how we talked about it yeah i just felt too fast it just yeah it just it felt kind of clean kind of it felt like i said like like mike said like a club track and you know you don't see people really like it's it just it didn't with the visual landscape of the hive and that track not to say it couldn't have worked but it wasn't the the vibe like i always talk like the emotional response like what do i feel when i walk into this place and it didn't have the right feeling to me it just it it worked like I said. It wasn't like the that the track didn't work. It could fit, but it's this one. Like I said, it, it worked. It wasn't displeasing to the palate, but it just it didn't feel right to me. So we just put that track aside. We were like, okay, well let's we'll f- see if we ever find a home for it. Mm-hmm. And then I just sent Mike right back to the drawing board, and I said, think, you know, I said think almost old west, and I said, you know, like. Jensen is kind of like that that gunslinger, and I said he's almost plays a bit of that Clint Eastwood, you know, man with no name uh, role. And I said you're in Hengshan now. You don't know anybody. You don't speak the language. You're walking into some unsavory bar. And I said to me, I want that feeling of like a gunslinger walking into a real nasty place. And he nailed it. Like as soon as I well, heard I also it threw because when you said that, I sent you. I think it was Massive Attacks Rising Sun. Okay. Off of Mezzanine, which. Which would have worked perfectly that track too, yep. and that was definitely a reference point. But yeah, the vocals in that ended up being—I um, have no idea what she's singing about. I'm gonna get in so much shit for if it's, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Because there was a, just a, a source recording that I had found from a company that specialized in uh, really obscure source recordings all through Asia, different multiple languages, different countries, and yeah, I think it was like a famous folk tune or whatever. And uh, I took it and chopped it into. Uh, I, I, like I heard it and I just had a huge smile. I'm like, that's it. That's mm-hmm. the that's the mood I want. You know, that's the exact vibe I want mm-hmm. when you walk in there. I want it to feel that that type of feel. I wanted it to feel dangerous. Yeah. I didn't want it to feel like you know boots 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 boots. That doesn't feel dangerous to me. You know. But when he unless came it's a raver, like a serial killer raver or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but. What he did was the exact vibe I wanted. Like, it felt dangerous. It was cool. And then when we had the brothel and we were like, okay, we need a track here. And I just remembered, I was like, what about the the old hive track? I said, what if you, you know, can you add in some, like, really cool, like, you know, sex noises and stuff like this? And, you know, women, like, you know, breathing heavy and stuff. And he just weaved it all in and it came back and the track worked perfect like when we put it in the brothel i was like ah oh, man that's that's gold that's exactly the way it should feel you so, know? so you're saying that's gonna be like a highlight of the maybe the soundtrack or when people come out of the game you want them to like be talking about that above others <laughs> i doubt that'll be the i highlight. doubt that'll be the highlight <laughs> <laughs> but 
again, it just shows. I like. The, I really like that the, track. The, the breathing. It's, the, the song is so sexy. Yeah. Yeah. The sex noises were really well done. Yeah. <laughs> that was UFC, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's totally all me. I think I've toned it down in the soundtrack too. I t took out about eighty percent of the. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was just like there's gonna be a kid on a bus who's just like. You know, <laughs> just listening to it and just like really uncomfortable. And really like, uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get up? Nah, maybe in the next song <laughs> I'll get up. I don't want to get up right now. Yeah. It's a walk home. Thanks to you guys. Yeah. 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 But uh, but it just goes to show you the, the amount of like importance, like how it's not just about like, okay, here's a shopping list of songs we need. Mm -hmm. You know, it, a lot of times it's like you said, like Mike gave us this track. It's a great track. Nothing wrong with it. And it actually even worked in the place. We did that with um, the main menu too, with yeah, Seraph HQ. Because mm -hmm. we had the menu was the last thing we. Yeah, the menu music was the last one because we were sort of intimidated. We were like, okay, mm -hmm. this is what they're going to be hearing. This is like really daunting. All the time. What do we yeah. do? And it's the one, despite what I said before about kind of saying this is its own game, it's the one that's. This is the space in the menu is where the most expectations are. Yeah. Uh, but I think we both knew that. It had to be fairly non-thematic yeah. and very ambient when you come into the game yeah. and fairly serious. It has this kind of emotional tone that it's like you're coming into, this is the mood that you're getting yeah. yourself into. Like, I agree. Yeah, I remember I was debating whether that would be pulled from Seraph HQ and kept as the menu just because it was like, do we want to hear the menu and then go into Seraph HQ? And it would basically be like you Natco being the main menu of the first game. Yeah, but I just thought it's it's the perfect tone for it, you mm -hmm. know, and it's the perfect like I've had uh, JF, the game director, come and see me, and he's just got like you know stars in his eyes, and he's like, man, I love that track. He's like, I get in the Seraph HQ. <laughs> he's like, it is so perfect. He goes, it feels like everything you'd want, like exploration. It's not in your face. It's not demanding too much attention. He goes, you can leave it on for like half an hour, and it doesn't annoy you. It's mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, that's the best compliment you could give us, you know? Yeah, he didn't like the track at first. Either. I didn't? Yeah. Really? Yeah, when I first sent it. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, really? Yeah, it was my, I had what an assistant, Mike, um, that was in. and I For, for Seraph HQ or for the? Uh, for Seraph HQ. Because okay. I spent like, it was like four or five days and I was having struggling with it being like, I know this works. And I'm looking at the visual walkthrough and I'm looking at the two and I'm like, this totally works. And I remember sending it and you were like, nah, nah, I don't know. And then, it, then at the end of the, on the Sunday, I think, I, think I, I talked to you and like, it. no, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was because it wasn't what I was expecting. And that's, yeah, me that's the hard yeah. thing is like in my role, sometimes you try not to give yourself preconceptions of like, okay, well, what's Mike going to give me? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it serves no purpose. Sometimes it will serve a disservice because you're expecting left and he gives you right. Mm -hmm. And right may be right. You know what I mean? Like my, right may be the, the, the proper way to go, but it doesn't feel right because you were expecting left, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. What's the track that, uh, was it one of the Seraph ones or something that we ended up using in the walk and talk? Remember, like, I, uh, I was picking, like, you were like, I don't know, man. And I started, like, I just sat there one afternoon and I was picking all these sort of tracks. Oh, no, that track, because that's the that's only in track in the game that I had written before I started the game. Okay. It was sitting on my hard drive. And I think uh, I was like, I know this will fit. I thought it might be, like, in... I think Can't Mike. Say that I think yeah. I think Mike gave us gave it to us for a location that ended up getting possibly cut from the game. Yeah. But I had it on my hard drive, and I remember I was just pulling tracks and, and watching the walk and talk part at the beginning. It's the the intro to the game. Mm -hmm. And 
when I dumped this track in, and I, I loved it right away. And then I called Mike, and he was like, oh, that's interesting. And he listened to it. He's like, yeah, that's cool. And then, again, like, you know, it's almost that shit luck of falling into a pond full of gold. It's like, you're like, wow, this fits really well with the Seraph HQ theme. Yeah. And it all just came full circle. Like, everything just fit really well together. Yeah. And it is pretty minimal, too. I guess the whole opening is pretty minimal. Yeah, and the opening credits theme, I mean, love that piece. It's awesome. Well, the first version is pretty funny. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. funny? It's just, yeah, it's just like arpeggio and a bass drum, I think. Oh, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I'm is there a kazoo we... in there, too? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were going to do the whole game with the electric kazoo, but yeah. we didn't have the budget. <laughs> For sure. Electric kazoo. And it was too, too thematic. Yeah. yeah, it was too thematic. <laughs> <laughs> There's too no, the, many notes on the kazoo. I want yeah. someone to, to send in the Deus Ex theme on the kazoo. I would love to hear that. Oh, I'm sure it's, uh, yeah. I'm sure as yeah, soon actually as... It's probably <laughs> Next, our dynamic audio duo of Mike and Steve explain how they created the sounds of the E3 trailer. Yeah, so basically, I just remember with the E3 trailer, sending Mike the rough edit, and we were looking at it, and then I think Mike sent me something that was like, I think it was just a bare-bone chord changes on a piano. Yeah. But for the big, uh, the big E3 one, and I remember just hearing, just hearing the, those those chords, and for me, I was sold. Like I knew it, and I, I mean, it was really basic, but I was like, I don't know, man, this is going to be like so powerful when it gets built up. It's not like we see like dozens of remixes already on YouTube for yeah. it. And <laughs> I was blown away. Like when we finally put it together, I thought, you know, this this screams epic. Well, I wouldn't say, but it's like you were saying when you take those chords and you put it to the trailer and then show people and they're like, what the? Yeah, no, they don't get it. (laughs) You know, and I'm like, like, trust me, it's going to be awesome. It's good. This works. It's going to be huge. And you just get blank faces like, (laughs) are you sure? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm so sure. I've never been sure of anything. I'm positive. I'm calling Mike up. You're going to make it good, right? (laughs) (laughs) Should we go into the trailer and do a little breakdown of sound effects and... Yeah, if you want. Yeah, let's do it. This is the. Uh, there's so many versions of this trailer. I get. I forget which one's which. That's the E3 one. This yeah. is the E3 well, we had already done a lot of this with the teaser because the teaser mm-hmm. contained, but this is where it became new. Yeah. From this point on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the harps. Yeah. The arpeggios came last. That's the last thing I added. Really, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Bass, drums, choir, melodies, brass, everything was done except for the arpeggio. And that's what I think it's it's important to mention, too, is that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, I mean, I've heard comments, people saying, you know, your stuff sounds a lot like Tron. Yeah. I remember, Mike was doing this before Tron ever even came out. Yeah, we did this track in... 2009, February of 2010, and Tron didn't come out till winter 2010. So this is about almost a yeah, half a year before right. Tron. I don't even know whose side I'm on. There's definitely reference, like it sounds a bit like the Dark Knight. The rise I can even hear that. But. 
protesters rallying outside of Seraph What was it like uh, doing the, the sound design for this? Mm. It, was, uh, it was cool. I liked the, uh, the crowds there when you see the crowd chanting. I took about five guys into a room and got them screaming stuff like, You suck, Seraph! <laughs> and stuff like this. Yeah. And, you know, humans, not machines! Yeah. All kinds of stuff. So that was fun. And this is a good example of looking at this trailer. This one we knew was going to be music driven because, like I said, this one's very story themed. It's it's more about the story of the game. So, was there a particular element like you obsessed over, like the little clicks of his arm? Did you sit and oh do yeah, that for well, a long time? Always, you know, you really want to make sure that they sound Everyone's mechanical, they sound cool, they don't sound you know cheesy, Ow. and they sound believable. Was that did that part sound a little more gruesome? Maybe the first time too, when he shoots himself in the head. Yeah, we had like you know splattering and stuff. And who who made the final call just to not do that? I think <laughs> it was just they, they cut the uh, the visual on some of it, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, you used to see a bit more, and then I think they pulled back a bit. So we uh, we it followed, would be gruesome. We followed the lead and pulled back a bit. I mean, as I said, you know. It's funny hearing Barrett there, and after hearing him earlier in his casting. Uh, yeah. So what? At what point? I think I think the hardest stuff was to try and certain sound effects to make sure that they would pass through. Oh, I mean, love this ending. With the uh, just like music? with everything that's going on, and like I remember we had a hard time with that bungee fall at the end to get it to the effect to kind of be present. And I love that because when you hear it, just the sound effects on its own, and that fall is not like if you have a nice sound system, you, know, you just crank out the oh, last like the last great. thirty seconds. Oh really? You just hear this, and the bass just like. Oh, yeah, yeah. like is, it, is that the same one that's in the game though, or is it slightly different? It's it's sweetened a bit, but it's the game is very close to that. Mm -hmm. When he when he bungees, that's the sound, that's the effect. Now, was there any like certain part of it though that you just it was difficult? Oh, the whole thing was difficult. <laughs> I mean, How long did it take, like, your guys' involvement on that? Like, was it a full-time job for, like, a month or two or anything like that? Yeah, it was off because we were doing that at the same time. I mean, at least I was working on Hanksha at the mm. same time we were doing that trailer. But it was back and forth. Like, you do an edit, add a new element, and then they, they were still working on the visual, too. So, actually, the first time I saw it, I think you had it, too, there was no... CGI. It was all they had cuts from other movies. Yeah, that's right. It was really rough, like uh, just ideas mm -hmm. of just yeah. the motion of the trailer and what the protests would look like. Um, I think there was like Getty Image stuff. Yeah. Some really preliminary animatics and wireframe. So then you're scoring, at least music-wise, you're trying to score to something that's not there yet. Mm -hmm. And then the second last version I did of the music, it was just uh, the CGI, but with that's no right. textures and lighting. Yeah. And then. I did the final version, and then I got the final trailer. It's the first time I'd ever seen it. Is that typical, like, doing it that way? And I've never done it that way. I did a... The other, I guess, animated trailer I did was for Enwar for Ubisoft. Okay. It's one of their big... It was a fully CGI. And that one I had full... It was fully done when I started it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, was it difficult, uh, you know, finding that inspiration or, or reaching that emotional tone with such a blank canvas a little bit? Yeah, it's really weird, because you don't know what's... You know it's going to look good because I knew the team that was behind it. And then yeah. you can look at like the Final Fantasy trailers and you're like, you know where it's going to go. Yeah. You're just trying to imagine that you're just hoping that either the music doesn't overshadow 
the visuals or vice versa that you come under and then the visuals are just way too big and that the music's just like me 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 underneath <laughs> but what i saw when i fi- got the final version and put them together for the first time it was like totally on my own i think i like jumped in my seat and like oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was, and i was really happy because obviously i put my neck somewhat out there saying like know to license music and we can do something that'll represent the game better mm-hmm. so and that's like pretty rare because if you notice stuff like um, Battle LA with um, Star Trek with t- I think pretty much virtually every Hollywood tra- it's rare that the composer on the film is involved in the marketing at all it's usually always licensed music or trailer house or hmm. yeah so and again I mean while I'm, I'm sure they have their methodology and their reasons for working that way. Mm-hmm. I just, to me, I can't understand like when you're trying to sell a product to people and make them excited about something, why you would take something that was not created to work with your product and try and mold them together. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's not to say it can't work because obviously there's films out there that have done it and done it very well. Mm-hmm. But I still think you're always going to get a better product when you give somebody the opportunity to score it mm-hmm. and to customize that music for that exact trailer, you're never going to get that same type of um, cohesion with a licensed track that was not designed to work with your trailer. I got to say, on a very personal level, like I was being interviewed when this came out for like this position, mm-hmm. and I thought, like, oh, shit, I better get this job. <laughs> that <was> so <laughs> great. I want. I really want this. And then I got the call, and I was like, sure enough, this is the game I'll be a part of. Oh, my God. <laughs> they did so well. It's so fucking cool. Cool. Yeah. But that, that was, was my good. little fanboy moment. Sorry. Yeah. That's all right. It's all good. <laughs> Instead of providing a preface for the next section, here's a placeholder sound the audio team used during development. This is a placeholder way. You have a, a, the first iteration or first pitch. As the uh, pitch document. So, you know, I was looking an outline. Uh, I gave a bit of background of the game. And then I said what I would like regarding demo submissions. Oh, I was going to just preface that with... Uh, Go I ahead, think dude. just so if people don't know is that... I don't know how much it works. I mean, it's been three years. But a lot of game music is... Even with established composers, goes through a pitching process where um, the studio will go after, you know, 10, 15, 20, or 5, or uh, different composers to submit based on kind of an idea of what the game will be about and to see which composer comes up with the closest to that world. Um, That's how I've definitely worked in the past and on this. So that's what this document is. Yeah. Is that kind of description of what you're looking for? Yeah. So I was looking for, like, a strong cyberpunk feel, cold, dark, sterile... Um, this isn't a license to flood me with techno tracks. I like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wrote that. That's what it li- actually says in there too. <laughs> that isn't a license to flood me with techno tracks. Cause I'm not looking for techno. <laughs> and then this was the fun part. Here's here's just to make it a little difficult. I'm also looking for elements of Renaissance to be scattered through some of the music, as these two elements represent the visual theme of the game, cyberpunk and Renaissance. I realize that trying to marry cyberpunk with Renaissance will not be easy. Therein lies the challenge. We. We started backing away, I think, from going with true renaissance, and we started looking at it, and I'm sure Mike will elaborate more, started looking at it more from a thematic thing of, like, for certain places like Limb Clinic or whatever, we were using much more organic instruments, and for areas where it was reflecting a lot more of the augmentations and it was dirty and grimy, we were going much more industrial, much more Hmm. uh, synth-based. I don't know, I'm sure Mike can elaborate more. 
Uh, yeah, I think the idea was that it wasn't until we really got into to the Hangsha area of the game is the first time I think where, because we did Detroit first. Yeah. And then when we got to Hangsha, it became I think I approached it way more organically. There's a lot of live instrumentation and vocals and. And it's and it's great. It works really well because yeah. <coughs> to me, even on a visual level, like when you see Detroit, it's very gritty, very industrial. I mean, it's it's a machine city. You know, yeah. it's the Motor City, yeah. and it's reflected that way in the visuals and in the sound. Yeah. And then when we go to Hangsha, it's much more um, it's much more organic. It's it's mm -hmm. it's a different it's a different animal altogether. And I think the music definitely reflects that. It really shows it. In the in the, all the textures and that Mike used. Yeah, well, you start to appeal to kind of uh, like roots, traditional music. Mm. There's a lot more emotion, and I think in the the more exotic environments than in Detroit, which is yeah, very very cerebral. Yeah. 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 Cool. But the Renaissance influence and I think the colors of the game, the gold and the yellow, the actual transhumanist theme, mm. kind of pushed it into. It has to represent that side. There has to be a human side to this. It can't just be electronic arpeggios and. It's, yeah. yeah, it's amazing how things just kind of um, evolved, you know, because we started out, and I'm even when I look at this first pitch thing, and I'm like, you know, yeah, I want themes for this and themes for that. And it was yeah. like, and I remember Mike and I spoke about having themes, and we never actually, like, sat down and were like, okay, so what's the theme for this or what's the theme for that? Mm -hmm. But as we were working and, and things evolved, we would sort of, I'd be like, you know, I really like this piece. And I said, to me, it almost... It feels like like this is Darrow's theme, or this is you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, this is Seraph's theme, by example, you know. Yeah. And and then Mike would be like, "Yeah, you're right. You know what? Like this this really does represent that. It works really well." And then we'd be like, "Okay, well." And at one point, I think we were talking, and we looked back, and I was like, "We never really sat down and like had a you know pin board where like themes and pictures." I have one. You have one? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> there yeah. you go. I'm totally organized, yeah. Mine, <laughs> mine's all in my brain. It's organic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I was, you know, because often I would spend the day here working and dealing with, you know, all the fun stuff of getting a game up. <laughs> and there just wasn't always a lot of time to, to deal with Mike. So often, you know, usually at night I would take an hour and we would catch up and just, you know, bounce ideas. And he's more of a night hawk anyway, so... Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's it's kind of hard to be focusing and giving somebody good feedback on music when there's people walking into the the office and there's other problems coming in, and I'm like, hang on, Mike, hang on, Mike, and it's like, nah, this this isn't a way to work. Mm -hmm. So it's a 24 hour job. Uh, maybe not 24, but it 23? was. 23. I don't 24. know. I think I think <laughs> I, for Mike, yeah. <laughs> I know for me, I always said to Mike, and uh, you know, and I don't regret it. I'm glad, but I, I was wondering. I was like, I don't know. I w I'm hoping um, I'm like giving him the support he needs. But I'm like, look, here's my home number. You call me anytime you need. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was a good relationship because I think we got a lot of good work done more often when I was at home and I was able to listen yeah. to stuff and and really be concise on feedback and that. And we were able to brainstorm ideas and. I mean, Mike and I enjoy just talking. I think like we could talk film and music for hours and hours, mm -hmm. you know, which is is a cool thing. It's like obviously we uh, we both bring something to the table that interests the other person, so it makes it fun to work together, you know. Yeah. Sound effects versus score. When designing audio for a game, how do you decide which has priority? Most importantly, does that even matter? Uh, 
was there any type of a, a battle for poor clarity for music and sound effects? Was it like, I mean, in trailers and in the gameplay and stuff like that? Um, I think earlier on with the, s the music system we went with, we didn't have a second layer in between kind of combat fight music and ambient. Right. And when we, when we added this, the second layer and started doing, so we have ambient stress combat. Basically, you have the ambient playing when you're exploring. Mm -hmm. As you approach danger or an enemy, you have a second layer that's very minimal that just kind of makes you aware. Puts you in, yeah. Of, yeah, what's there is, coming. There is like a music game language. Yeah. yeah. And then the third layer is combat when you engage in your full firefight. But I remember me coming in, I think, pretty early on when we were playing through. And I had expected that because the combats would take me so long, just the drum editing and just getting to work, is that they would be told exceptionally loud. And I think when we came in, they were loud. And that's we all decided that they should be turned down, mm. that the ambient would be loudest and that the that's combat would, would come in underneath everything else. It, yeah, and when you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense because if you're looking at the space you have to fill sonically as a, it's, it doesn't have an infinite amount of space. There's a finite defined amount. You can only fill it up with so much. So when you start looking at it from the gameplay point, you're like, okay, you've got gunfire, you've got all these explosions. You've also got a lot of barks, people screaming, people conveying information, flank them to the left, do this, do that. Mm -hmm. And all that needs to be properly conveyed. Mm -hmm. But then you still need the musical support that drives the tension. And Because, you know, we always have to remember we're playing a game and it's not us who's actually in danger. But I find it's the music that sends the signal to the brain of like, push that joystick and run because you're in danger. Yeah. You know, and we still needed to convey that, but like Mike said, it was a good point. Uh, at one point, we realized that we weren't exactly doing a service to the game by trying to shove everything on the edge of your nose. And I think we realized that we wanted to start paying a bit more attention to dynamics and how we use the music and, you know, not necessarily trying to put everything on 11 at the edge of your nose. <laughs> you know, like, let's have places where stuff breathes. And I really feel like dynamics and the, the use and art of use of dynamics is such a... It's something that it seems like it's just gotten lost by the wayside. Like now, even in pop music, I mean, you know, you load a track and you look at it visually, it's just a black bar. Yeah, the compression on it. You know, like the compression, like the loudest, the quietest parts are as loud as the, uh, the quietest parts are as loud as the loudest. And it's a shame. Like, then you take a track that, let's say, came out 10 years ago and it's got spikes and peaks and you can see it. it it moves like it's it's telling a story you can almost see the story like looking at it visually i can tell you oh well here's where it's going to get quiet here's where it's loud and you can't do that anymore today and i just find it's a lost art where at some point i don't know if when 5.1 cinema came out and everybody went crazy saying like all right now we're gonna push volume to the point of ridiculousness yeah but uh well it used to be even in the uh i would say even as recent as the 90s where tracks were mixed or designed to get louder in the chorus and especially towards the end of the song yeah is that they would they would ride it and they'd bring it down for the for the verse and then when you go into the chorus it would either be sped up or the volume would actually increase significantly now it's the verse and chorus have no no everything difference. like i said from the beginning from the quietest part to the loudest part it looks exactly the same on a on a sonic meter mm -hmm. and it's uh it's a shame so again it was an element that uh, Mike brought into the game, and right away we were like, yeah, no, let, that makes a lot of sense, and we really wanted to try and play with dynamics a bit. I mean, 
there's nothing more tense than when you walk into a place and it's all kind of quiet and, and awkward with just that little bit of music giving you that feeling of uneasiness saying, you know, why is everything so quiet in here? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's that's an effective use of, of music and effective use of, uh, excuse me, non-sound, if you will. Mm. That sounded really pretentious. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> As the sole community manager at Idos Montreal and the editor of this show I'm going to call this next section community and leave it at that both of you uh, what's it like going on the forum or going online and seeing like such positive reaction to this I mean I'm sure you've heard positive reaction before but for Deus Ex you know it does have the pedigree the community is very core they're very serious and mm-hmm. um, and you know a lot of people they get a lot of uh, crap from people sometimes for being like you know fanboys or all this stuff but they're very intelligent and they have they make legitimate like responses as to why they don't like something and it's got to be intimidating sometimes but yeah. when they're behind both of you so much it's got to feel good yeah start out right out off the top by saying thank you to all the people out there who've been supporting us and giving us positive feedback it's definitely appreciated and we do um, find time to do read it and listen to what's being said and while it's not always in our control to uh, just take things that are suggested and make them happen um, it's not to say that we don't read and, and appreciate everything that's being put out there just because you're not posting on the forums or on other sites doesn't mean you're not reading it. I mean, no, I walk by computers and I see the forum all the time and yeah. other websites where they're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, and so. I think it's important to to spend some time there and to see what some of the feedback is. And, you know, it's always nice when you get validation saying, you know, yeah, you guys did an awesome job. Um, I'd say probably the one point of, of uh, I don't know, the one problematic point that if anybody was to have with me would maybe be the fact that there was a lot of people saying, you know, we needed to just take the theme as it was from the original game and just put it right at the beginning of this game. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, like from a, uh, a fan love and from a nostalgia point, I totally get it. And, um, you know, but at the same time, in all fairness, I can't say that I agreed with it because mm-hmm. I didn't. I like the theme, and I think the theme works so well for the first game, for Deus Ex. But for our game, it's a different animal. The comparison I often make is using Star Trek as the analogy, and while you had so many hardcore Star Trek fans, when Next Generation came out, it was like, you know, total blasphemy. Like, we're not, you know, you're not bringing William Shatner back, you're not bringing the cast, no, it's a new cast. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you're going to use the Star Trek song, right? No, it's a new song. Mm-hmm. So you had really, like... You know, Trekkies uh, upset to the hilt, and but when they saw the new product and with the new music, the new characters, the new dis- new sets, the new color palettes, the new scenes, they saw that it worked really well together. And I think over time they realized, you know what? Yeah, that other theme song wouldn't fit because it's a different universe. That was Star Trek. This is Star Trek: Next Generation. In a way, it's the same as Deus Ex works as Deus Ex, and this is Human Revolution, and it's a different animal. While still being under the the Deus Ex universe umbrella and respecting the same laws and rules, Mm -hmm. and obviously we would never think of, you know, going disco or something like that. (laughs) Well, it's also, I mean, people bring up the James Bond thing. It's like, well, then you have the example of James Bond who have kept a theme and variations of it for 40 years. But Mm -hmm. then again, it's always the same character. 
It's always James Bond. It's always James Bond. And yeah. Again, this isn't J.C. Denton. And I, and I think of it in a way, too. You're, you're respecting the original franchise or the original title. I do, man. I have, I have a lot of respect for it, and I, I definitely... And you're letting the, it be. One, yeah, exactly. Like, I think I'd be doing it a disservice trying to fit a square peg into a circle hole, you know? It's just... It's not right, and it, it deserves to exist in the in the proper universe that it was created in mm -hmm. and for. And it was never created with the idea or the vision that it was going to be used in Human Revolution. It was created for Deus Ex, mm -hmm. and it works perfectly for Deus Ex. But, you know, the same way I don't feel the tracks from those games fit into this world, mm -hmm. you know, as, as the same use, it's the same argument. They're just two totally different animals, you know. And uh, the, the original theme is in the game, right? Uh, yes. As we say, it's not where you expect it. Yeah. yeah. One of my uh, talented uh, sound designers, uh, I'm going to throw a shout out to them now. There's J.S. Leblanc and Johan Boudreau and Johan. Uh, I asked him at one point, he wasn't even working here at the time, but I said, dude, can you make me a, a more modern version of this theme? Because I needed to use it for, I think I was showing something, it was a presentation and I wanted it. And then he tried, for fun of it, making the rock version as well, you know. <laughs> and I just kept them. I always thought they were really cool. Uh, they were fun to listen to, you know. But uh, but it's 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 a good theme. But as I said, you know, it's it's the theme of that game. And you know, our our game is built on numerous themes that Mike's created. But like you said, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you have to throw everything out. And we found ways. For me, it was important to find ways for the real fans of the game to take elements of that first game and find a clever way to spin them into our world. You know, the entertainment business to me is about making people smile, making people happy, making people go, you know what, I spent 70 bucks, but that was worth it, mm -hmm. you know, and I'd gladly pay it again. For me, finding a, a clever way to, to rework in uh, a song or something from the original game that if you've never played it, it's not going to take anything away from your experience. It's not in your face. It's subtle. Uh, if you have played it, like I've already seen, you know, some of the, the forum posts of things they've seen, and they're like, oh, my God, when I saw this, like, it made me smile. It brought me back. To me, that's worth it. It's, mm -hmm. it's a bit of effort on our part, but I know, uh, again, it, it's to show the respect that I have for the love that the fans have for the first game. But I think everybody will be even more enamored when they play the new game and they get exposed to the universe Mike's created. And uh, there are more than just like the Deus Ex theme in there. Like there's nods to the Unatco theme maybe? There's one. Like that's why I, didn't, I never wanted to focus on the... Because uh, my concern, even knowing the fans, is that I have no interest in whether the original music fits in the world or not. And it, I don't think that's controversial in the sense that the only thing I'm concerned about is whether the music that's in the game suits the game you're playing. The only thing I'm concerned about is the script I'm looking at, the story, the visuals that I'm looking at, and the game that this cup, these guys have created. And it was our job as the audio team, or more I put it on myself, to find clever ways to work within what Mike did and mm -hmm. to still find little clever ways. I mean, just having a guy whistling the theme as you're walking through an alley and hearing it... <laughs> It doesn't take anything away from what Mike did, but mm -hmm. if you played the first game, you're going to smile and be like, that was cool. That <laughs> yeah. was, was kind of cool. Yeah. And it's that type of stuff that we wanted to do, you know, because... Um, Not being overt and heavy-handed, like, no, listen, asshole, this no, is the... there's no need for that, and I think anything done well is usually done with a certain subtlety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no grace in, like, dropping a, an anvil on somebody's head, you know? Mm -hmm. So you didn't obs obsess about... 
putting any nope. Deus Ex stuff in there. But what did yeah. you obsess about, like, when you were doing this? What did you obsess about, Steve? Like, anything in particular? Footsteps? Grunting noises? <laughs> female uh, grunting noises? The, no, the hooker you know sounds? If I had to obsess on anything, it would probably have been the uh, the voice acting. I was That was my main big concern, because I, once I got Mike on board, I wasn't worried about the music. I knew it was going to be awesome. Um, hired my team. I had a great bunch of guys. I knew that you know the sounds in the game was going to be great. But I always said, you know, Deus Ex, it's a story-driven game. After that, how you play the story, whether combat, stealth, or whatever, you know, social, that's your choice. But the story is being presented to you. Now, for the story to succeed, it's got to be told well. And for it to be told well, it's got to be told by the people telling it, who are the actors. So, I mean, you know, I, I can read the script, and in my head, I've got, you know, all kinds of fun voices to, to fill in the roles, and it sounds great. But it's at the end of the day, it's, it's these people that we've hired to play these parts that are conveying the story to the player. Mm -hmm. And as good as their acting is, is as good as the person's going to buy into the story, you know? And uh, so it was crucial to me that we got good voice actors, and that was probably the one area that I really, really focused a lot on because it was... I don't know. It, it was just a real big thing to me. I said, it's got to have good voice acting. Because, well, you know, let's be honest. The first one, I mean, Deus Ex, for, for all the love and the great game and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's not exactly Oscar performances and some of the acting roles. Gunther's going to come and get you for that one. Yeah, you can give my address. <laughs> but, uh, no, but seriously, I think I've read articles where they've even said, like, there were so many walk-ons for doing voiceover work in that thing. And I don't think that's acceptable anymore in, in where we are today. I think back then it was fine, and a mm -hmm. lot of games were, were doing the same thing at that time. But I think in 10 years now, people expect a certain quality of, uh, of talent when they play a game. And, I mean, I've, I've read tons of interviews where, you know, you look at stuff, and in audio they always say, poor voice acting. And that's what made me say, all right, I'm going to drive the casting for this because I said if, if I'm going to be taking the brunt of the criticism, yeah. then I want to make sure that I got a, a voice at the table. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I pretty much drove it with, uh, with Mary DeMarle, the writer. Nice. And uh, we pretty much, you know, picked out all the actors, her and I. And sometimes, you know, people would be like, eh, I'm not sure about this guy. And would be like, nope, this is the guy. Trust me. And, you know, two months later, the builds advance, and they're like, man, this guy's cool. He's so <laughs> awesome. And you're like, cool. That's great. I'm happy. This is the end, well, of this show. And the long wait for the next Deus Ex. If you're listening to this before launch, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Thank you for listening. Being a fan a member of this community and always being there for this development team. Thank you. And I hope you continue to support us even after the game launches, which comes out on August 23rd. Marketing made me put that one in there. Just kidding. I love you guys and gals in marketing. You know that. Well, for me... Uh, Anything you want to say? I just want to say... Thanks to Kyle for inviting us and having us yeah. uh, do the podcast. 
for anybody listening, thanks for listening and giving up some of your time to uh, hear us babble on about all the fun we had over the four years. Thanks to the community for the support and uh, keep up uh, keep up supporting the game. And like I said, you know, comments, good or bad, they're all uh, they're all appreciated. You know, it's mm-hmm. not only uh, it's not only about stroking the ego. I like to hear stuff that you didn't like so that we can uh, learn from. Uh, any mistakes we might have made. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, hopefully we can get these guys on again sometime. Thanks, everyone. Ciao. Thanks. Cloudy outside and the weather's getting rougher. Hey, we've got hot dog. We've got a wiener.